0: everybody and we're going to take a few minutes make a few announcements and then i'll get on in with today's message um for those of you who've been watching the series on revelation either on my channel or on the daily renegade i apologize for the white screen i didn't realize how that was too much white and reflected too much light so it kind of detracted so I put a darker color sheet behind me. It looks white, but it's actually purple. <laughs> but still, with the lighting here, it's, it's a little better than the bright, glaring light. So I apologize for that. Our Today's message is we have need of nothing. Jesus tells us to watch and pray, to be counted worthy to escape these things and stand before the Son of Man. Unfortunately, a lot of places are no longer watching and praying. No, they're, they're simply not even watching. They think everything will go back to normal and after the election is over. And I pray that it might, but I have a feeling it won't. After I did some research, I just don't think it's going to return to normal. And one of the signs other times are the seven churches, like I said, began in the first century. They continued on and was like God shining a spotlight on each. They took center stage for a bit. And then at the last, shining the last church, that gives us an idea when curtain call comes. In other words, the stage is set. God is shining a spotlight on each church. Each church is taking their turn on center stage for a bit. First, there was Ephesus, which was spotlighted in the first century, illuminating how they left their first love. Then it was Smyrna. You took center stage during the time of the Roman persecutions up to to about the mid-300 AD. But But how do you know that persecution did not end in 300 AD? It continues throughout history as it's not finished yet. The Church of Smyrna is very much alive today as it was back then. Then Pergamum took center stage, then Thyatira, then Sardis, then Philadelphia spent their time on center stage with God's spotlight on it. All six remain on the stage to this day, waiting for the last curtain call after Laodicea takes its bow, ushering in the last days. And after this, folks, the Antichrist will take center stage. In the last part of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, Jesus is seen examining the church and ready to give his diagnosis and prognosis on the state of the church. Peter wrote... In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, that judgment begins in the house of God first. What is seen by Jesus right now is how five of the seven churches just keep the church in a state of division. And two of the seven remain, to the, remain true to the Lord of hosts. They're undivided in their loyalty to Jesus and to each other. So I want to ask you that are listening, which are you? Now the spotlight is on Laodicea. And after going through this, you can tell me how close we are to the end before all seven church types stand in the light of God. You know, how how are they going to stand in the spotlight? Revelation chapter 3, 14. Now, the New King James reads this. We're going to jump right into the book of uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 in the church of Laodicea. And so it reads out of the New King James. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. There's a lot in a name, folks. In in, in Bible prophecy study, we uh, you got to explore everything. For example, Laodicea, even you know, you gotta explore everything. You have to explore the the name, meanings and all kinds of things like I've been going on. I hope you've been learning something. You need to know what the name Laodicea means, a little bit of its history, so forth, etc., so you can kind of grasp what is going on and the depths of Bible prophecy, so you can identify how close we are to the last curtain call, okay, before the Antichrist t- takes the stage. So, what does Laodicea mean? Laodicea comes from two words. Leo, meaning the, the people or the common people or people, that have in common, and des- desia, meaning fairness, rights, justice, and judgment. That's what the word means. So in combined, the meaning means people of common fairness, rights, justice, and judgment. That's what the word Laodicea means. That's the etymological study of this word, how it's broken down. I got it from Smith's Bible Dictionary. I got it from etymological studies off the Internet, so forth, etc. cetera. But that's what the uh, name Laodicea means. The people of common fairness, rights, justice, and judgment. That will be the same mantra that is chanted by the entire world as well and indicates an infiltration into the church of the same ideology where people need to be people of common fairness. they got to have common rights, common justice, common judgment, uh, on. On just, you know, just just, just listen, keep, keep tracking with me here. When Laodicea in Church holds the main spotlight on center stage, there will be a worldwide push to become people of common fairness. Rights, justice, and judgment will just take center stage worldwide. Not just in one country, but worldwide. So I want to ask each of you, are you seeing the fulfillment of the meaning of that name Laodicea today? Worldwide, do you see a socialist, Marxist, fascist call for common fairness, common rights, justice, judgment? I'm not talking about the Bible definition of these, I'm talking about the socialist, Marxist, evil definition of these. Okay, there's a lot in the name and the history of Laodicea. For example, Laodicea was notorious for its bankers and merchant class and extolled passions for Greek art, philosophies and educational rhetoric and debate and making monumental monumental temples and, and mega structures and mega buildings. They were into this. They were rich and have need of nothing, as the book tells us. That's the history of kind of the idea of what Laodicea was like back then. In fact, Laodicea was the educational stomping grounds that produced many of the skeptic philosophers of its day and it promoted the use of education to shape culture, not to rebel against the ruling classes by distracting them with wealth and religious practices, which was commonly practiced in the Roman Empire. That's how they pacified the people, Okay. They use education and, and, and propaganda to shape the idea of culture, to not rebel against the Roman authority, okay? And that was practiced in Thyatira and um, Philadelphia, and it was practiced in, in Smyrna and Ephesus. It was practiced all throughout Rome, okay, in the Roman Empire, and was practiced here in Laodicea. With everything I just shared, We need to watch if the spotlight is on these two things. The first is a push to live true to the name of Laodicea, becoming people of common fairness, rights, justice, and judgment, where everything is about fairness, where everything is about rights, everything is about just social justice, everything is about. Exercising, you know, judgment. We are going to judge you for not being commonly fair to our beliefs. Okay, they're they're dictatorial, they're tyrannical in this. Second, you're going to see is a worldwide rise in skepticism, especially in the church, a rise in progressive Christianity that casts doubts on God and the Bible. In other words, there will be a shortage of true. Bible-believing Christians in the world and the church in the last days. Just like Paul writes about, there's going to be a great falling away, okay? And by these two things, what people pushing for people of common fairness, if you don't agree with them, they're going to silence you. That's their rights. That's their. Ju- it's all about rights. It's all about social justice. It's all about judgment. This is the name of Laodicea. That's the type of place, that was its characteristics, okay, and the thing was skepticism and education to uh, teach culture how to act, but you didn't know that, I don't think too many studies on the book of Revelation really uh, go into depths and, and actually look at the layer and meaning of what Jesus is saying, you know, out of uh, Revelation 119, where Jesus is telling us to look at the past Look at the procession of history and look at the, to understand what's going on in the future. I don't know if they really grasp that. We, we, we seem like we just don't get past certain things on the studies of the book of Revelation uh, on the seven churches if we just think a little bit. So do you see any of this stuff happening today? There are more indicators in the name and history and religious practice of ancient Laodicea that will help us connect the dots and what to look for as we're watching in Bible prophecy. The religion of pagan Laodicea gives us a big clue. In other words, the patron god of Laodicea was the Anatolian moon god Min. He's known in the Mesopotamian pantheon of gods as Nana, the moon deity. It's the same deity. It just goes by different names. It's a finger puppet, whatever you want to call it. The Roman version of Min Karu, the moon god, was worshipped in Laodicea. And this is the characteristics of the moon god, Nana or the Min Karu. It's a deity of destinies, oracles, justice, submission, masters of time, masters of order, how to create harmony by submission in all areas of life to teach elite leaders how to teach the people to discern what fairness and justice is and to educate the known world in those things. That's the characteristics, the Anatolian moon god, the Mesopotamian Nana. Isn't that interesting? The Karu moon god here that was worshipped was associated with the Mithra, mystery religions, that was popular in ancient Rome, which for sim- simplicity's sakes, for us to modern understand, and also for something for us to watch for, is a blend of old Zoroastrianism. Mixed in with the newer versions of Gnosticism for us today. It was the New Age movement of its day. That's exactly what the Myrtha religion was way back in the mystery religions. It relied heavily on Gnosticism, which the Bible talks about as heresy. and was the very first heresy the church had to deal with. Paul had to deal with it about the worship of angels and so forth, etc. You're going to understand in a minute why Paul wrote what he did in uh, the book of Galatians and the book of Colossians about the Gnostic heresy of worshiping of angels and why you shouldn't do it. Gnosticism involves coming to a point where the spirit overpowers all flesh. you got to re- recall the storylines of the old pagan gods in each of the other six cities. They all apply here too. Um also, all these temples to all these gods were in Laodicea. I'm not going to go through every single god again, but uh, the main uh, patron gods of Laodicea was the moon god, was Apollo and the fish, and we relied heavily on emperor worship, and the Mithra religious system, which seeks the sun deity's return as a perfect spirit that's housed in the human body, a god, to lead and rule all flesh into a utopia, to produce common fairness, rights, justice, and judgment, as defined by the elites in government uh, who impose their will of relativistic morality on humanity, who teaches culture how they should act. That's a mouthful. I'm just condensing it for you to understand as simply as I can. Therefore, the moon god and the mystery religions of the mirtha share the same goal. Myrthraism is the forerunner of the Masons, and they passed on their secret handshakes and looks and and gestures and goals that Myrthraism had. Mirthraism also had the same Gnostic idea of climbing a seven-rung ladder of initiation into the mysteries of Mithra. Mithra. It's similar to the Masons' degrees of initiation for example in the 10th century Byzantine encyclopedia the ancient mediterranean world at that time was called the suda uh, under the heading the mithras it says and i quote no one was permitted to be initiated into the mysteries of the Mithras until he should show himself holy and steadfast by undergoing several graduated tests end quote Climbing the ladder involved the occult version of holiness. I bet you didn't know Whitkins have holiness and Satanists have idea of holiness. Not the idea of what you think in Christianity. It's the same word they use, but their idea is quite different. So it's the occultic version of holiness. What's that? It's a blend of asceticism to purge the flesh, the mind, the soul of all negative energies so one can ascend to a higher level, meet their angelic beings who, like sages, instruct what revelation they, they are to teach and instruct humanity on next to produce submission. <laughs> That's what it is, folks. And, uh, they, and they want to share That to the uninitiated. That's what the people they want to teach it to certain people who will in turn initiate all humanity to go up the ladder. Okay. Of Gnostic thought. Of the Mirthra religion. To reach a new world order where where everyone's controlled. Have the same mindset of common fairness, justice, rights, so forth, etc. The occultic utopia. So the idea of holiness was to purge them, all negative energy, so to speak, so they can climb the next ladder and get the next secret revelation and bring it to humanity. Okay? want. It's all about ascending higher with the help of angels or these gods that are met on each rung of the ladder to unite all religions into what we call a one-world kingdom-now religious system. This is old as the hills. That's why it was a heresy back in the first century church. And now it raises its ugly head again. St. Jerome actually mentioned that there are seven grades of initiation into Mirthraism. Thus, they had to ascend seven tests in the mysteries of the Mirthras to become a master. did not that sound familiar to you? I bet you didn't really know this. Sometimes I just wish the church would teach some of this stuff. Well, Wikipedia says of the Mithraism, and I quote, a mosaic in the Myrthrium of Felicimus depicts these grades with symbols of the planet, and each grade lifts one into the protection of each planetary god in ascending orders of importance. And it goes on to explain the initiatory grades, how they initiate. So you first rung of the ladder was Saturn. How many know in 2015 all these movie stars were putting hand symbol over one eye the eye of Saturn saying we're initiating you in the ladder of Saturn where are we now in uh, five years later probably the next rung I'll I'll talk about that later I don't have time to I'll get lost on the rabbit trail talking about that but that's what they want to they want to give you secret revelations okay Okay, we're going to get back to Laodicea now. And David Guzik commentary on the church at Laodicea, section 3, section 1, section A, and I quote from it, Laodicea was an important wealthy city with a significant Jewish population. Like other cities in the region, it was a center for Caesar worship and the worship of the healing god Eccleophus. There was a famous temple of acleophas in Laodicea with more famous medical school connected with the temple, end quote, okay, the Cleophas was worshipped in Laodicea and was considered a helper to the Mesopotamian false god or the fallen angel that goes by the name Enki, Enki, he was uh, probably Enki second or third in command, if you want to know a military chain, Inki's in the abyss right now, okay, probably one of, the, one of the four spirits that are trapped under the Euphrates to be released at the very last hour. Okay? So, Eccleophus' job was to use and teach the healing arts. He is notorious for trying to raise the dead back to life. That was the job of Eccleophus, to raise somebody back from the dead. We see the same theme In Revelation 13, verse 3, and I quote from the New King James, And I saw one of its heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and its deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Then on to verse 14, speaking of the false prophet. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword, and lived, okay? So, it's all about getting the healing arts and crafts made and uh, initiating humanity into that type of knowledge in order to do that, to, to bring this entity back to life, to fulfill the dead and rising god of Dionysius uh, and so forth, etc., of Shamash, Uyutu, whatever you want to call them. That is the idea. Cleophas was the one that was going to provide the... Uh, medical skills need it in order to do that. On a side note, Inki is also associated with the Kondalini aspect of the Mithra system. <laughs> came out of Persia. <laughs> you know, it's a form of Hinduism and stuff here. It's a Kondalini enchantment type of thing. Uh, Inkey was the teacher of the occult arts and enchantment so forth he was a seducer so forth etc you can look it up look it up take some time read about Enki. okay and Cleophys was his helper and the whole purpose was to raise a this this sun deity out of the abyss so to rule the world through the healing arts and the medicine that ecleophas prescribed in the meantime in order to raise money he had a, a they had a, they used hospitals to do so, <laughs> what I want. and so one of the practices was to, you, know, you take some stuff, and you go to sleep in the temple of a um, and I said this before, and you're to sleep to attain your healing, where the snakes crawl all over you. If the snake crawls over you, at least you're knocked out, you don't really feel it, or if you're brave enough, you can try to sleep with snakes crawling all over you, and um, then, then the snakes are supposed to take your um, disease off of you, okay? That is the idea of the healing arts that uses snakes. Just let your mind wander with that, okay? It all ties back to the main patron gods of Laodicea, where the moon god who was the initiator of destinies and who wants to create submission and teach. And Apollo, who was going to help the sun deity arise, who was going to set up, who's going to teach law and music and the arts and, and basically shape the mind of culture. Then you have Achilleus, the healing, uh, and you got to compound that with the emperor worship. All these entities were were sent forth to teach humanity on the ladders of Gnostic thought, how to be faithful and true witnesses to the will of these gods. Why? The answer is to produce common fairness, common rights, common justice, common judgment by them. They're exercising what constitutes fairness, rights, and justice. Ruled by the occult messiah, that proves themselves by rising out of the abyss. And you gotta remember, like I said, Laodicea was big on emperor worship, like a lot of those cities were. Ancient emperors viewed themselves as possibly being this very ruler destined to rule the world. If they if not, then through their heirs was how the sun deity would inhabit uh, that would rise out of the abyss again to rule the world that's why emperor worship was so big i bet you guys didn't know that some of you watching me you probably know now with everything i just shared we need to watch if the, the spotlight is shining brightest on late in christianity everybody says we're in the late age but they forget that all the other uh church churches are in the background sharing equally the stage, but they're in the shadows. They're all going to come forward, the spotlight's going to shine on all, they're all going to take their bow at the curtain call, and then then the Antichrist will take the stage, okay? So let me look at the first indicators, because there are four indicators, and i repeat the first two again. First, we're going to see a worldwide push to become people of common fairness, rights, justice, and judgment with the elites telling us what each one of those mean and what it looks like. This will happen in the church as well as the entire world. Do you see this now? Do you see this trend towards social justice in the churches? You know, churches that don't have any brains. They're easily allied to evil causes like Marxism. Do you see any possibility? I can read you you some documentation on that. Maybe later I will. Second, like I said, you're going to see a rise of skepticism in the church because, you know, later the CEO taught education how to be skeptics about anything religious, okay, skeptics, be skeptical. So the rise of skepticism is going to happen in the church that casts doubt on the atonement of Jesus, God who God is, and the Bible. In other words, there will be a growing shortage of true Bible-believing Christians and a falling away from the faith along with a hefty rise in chasing after false doctrines in the last curtain call here. We're gonna see that. How close are we? Are we seeing this worldwide phenomena right now? Hate to tell you, folks, we are we are not a Christian nation in the United States. We are a minority now who the left wants to crush. And wipe out if we don't submit to them. After all, Laodicea was really big on skepticism and teaching that. Do you see that skepticism being taught worldwide right now? So let's look at the third and the fourth indicators of how close we are to the last days. Thirdly, we'll see a worldwide rise in the pagan mystery religions of Mithraism, even in the church. You'll see yoga, You'll see a blend of Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, and skepticism used to make the world a better place, and in need of nothing—not even the one and only God. They don't even want; they just because they've been taught to be skeptical and how to arrive at something else. So the world will become a place of common fairness, rights, justice, and judgments by spreading the wealth around, and they're going to be very proud about it. Have you seen any of this taking shape yet? The fourth identifier that we will see uh, is this. We'll see many in the church being distracted by an in-need-of-nothing mentality being taught in the church. You have in need of nothing, not even God. You have in need of nothing. Do you see that yet? So let's find out what that in-need-of-nothing uh, mentality really is. So let's find out. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans... Right. These things said the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. We haven't got out of the name of Deodicea De- yet, but we are getting there on that first verse. We're not even done with the first verse yet. You, get, you understand that Jesus indirectly, like I said before, in these verses, and the, usually the first and second verse, he's, pro- he's indirectly pronouncing judgment on the fallen angelic principalities who blasphemies mimic the attributes of, of himself to get people to reject the, the real Jesus in exchange for the false and these uh, entities use deception that to have humanity to be faithful to them they think they're being faithful to Jesus but they're actually being faithful to these 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 uh, principalities powers that, that Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 612 they want human agents especially in the church to be true witnesses to them for humanity's own good As they are the final amen of judgment of what is right, fair, and just for all. Not the Lord God, their ideas that mimic Jesus. Okay, that's a lot to digest right there for some of you watching for the first time. These fallen watchers standards are used to define what is fair, right, just, what judgment is. And it's infiltrating into the church. These same ones seek to control all aspects of life on earth, like tracking what one can buy and sell and eat, where one goes. They want to track you. They have 5G set up for that now. Think about it. Leading to what Revelations 13 verses 16 and 17 talk about from the New King James here. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy, sell, except one who has the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. That is the goal of these entities. It all culminates in the book of Revelation. If you do not know what to look for from the past, what's going on in the present, to indicate and to recognize where we are, how close we are to the future judgment, um... You just need to be able to connect some dots. You see, the devil in his minions' idea of common fairness, rights, justice, and judgment is about impl- implementing total dictatorial, tyrannical control, not about real, true fairness, rights, justice, and judgment. When politicians and elites have no qualm about a doctor, and I, I heard this from um, Pastor uh, Charles Lawson of Temple Baptist. And I checked out what he said about this, and and I found out more than he didn't say about this. I'm going to say it, what he didn't say, okay? When politicians and elites have no qualm about a doctor who recently came to Spotlight, who told how to perform a partial birth abortion, they would slit a newborn infant's throat so he would not scream, when they put the tube in to remove certain matters out of its brain. Any elite leader or politician or party that supports that practice or abortion, they're going, like Charles Lawson said, they're going to slit your throat too. They have no regard for human life. They market abortion as an amen and true, calm, and fair right to end life. Do they not? Next, they promote common fairness that love is love. Except if you are the unborn, the elderly, or anyone who opposes them, then you have no rights. Then it's burn down your town, threaten you with violence, all in the name of love is love, and for promoting the common fairness. But if you disagree with them, we're going to get rid of you. We're going to shame you. We're going to stand in your face and yell at you. We're going to call you racist, homophobic, bigot, bigot, even though you're not. We're going to take away your, we're going to take away your liberties and freedoms if you don't submit to us. Are you seeing that today by chance? Their standards of common fairness, right and just, just judgment is a place where there is no freedom of speech, no personal property rights, where all people share all things in common as a right to be forced down your throat, like it or not. There's no debate, there's complete censoring, they want to track you, they want to give you no choice, they want you to have no freedom. That is viewed as a threat to their control. They're preparing the way for the Antichrist to take center stage. It's their way or the highway. If you disagree with them, you are toast. So I'm going to ask you, do you think we might be heading there right now? I'm going to let you answer that question. Next, their standards is to promote that sort of common fairness in the churches so all become united with a new world religious system. This is accomplished by promoting higher revelation and knowledge that seeks to have the initiates in the church practice climbing the Gnostic Mithra ladder to contact New Age spirit guides or angels to replace the Bible and God ruling from his very throne of heaven to earth. They want to replace that, even in the church. These guides are deceivers, liars. So you want to see this type of thing happening in the church. People talk about, let's ascend to a different level. I, 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 I had this, These some of these people are, are talking about this stuff, and I'm going, wow. You know, I got this, uh, I won't say who right now, but I got, I don't know where it came from. I got a, um, in the email, I don't know how I got on the email list. I know I, I try to get off of it sometime. But it says, come, find out how to activate power portals, ascend higher, how to get to heaven on a dime, meet your spirit guide, meet your angel. That's Mithraism. That's Gnosticism. That's climbing the seven ladders to initiate the church into a new world order so they no longer have anything to do with the Bible. They only use the Bible as a proof text. To 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 uh, substantiate their pretext and they will get you away from the Bible. It's no longer the Bible they want to teach. They want no longer they don't want you relying on God, they don't want you to rely on Holy Spirit, they want you to rely on angels. What Paul warned about worshiping of angels, they want you to do. You'll see this in the church. Our Lord God, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ. Governs by grace, mercy, he's slow to anger, he does what he can to get folks to return to him, and prove how much he loves by the boundaries of love that he sets before us. If not, it's not love. In other words, he allows freedom of thinking and thought. He's open to debate because, you know, it says in uh, Isaiah chapter 1, Come, let us reason together. You know, he allows personal liberty and freedom, and he also sets boundaries of his love, and he's trying to teach you something. He's trying to teach all of us something. If you live outside of the boundaries of his protective love, you get hell and chaos and death and slitting throats of infants as the new normal. Accept it. The devil's idea of love is love is to control you and, and to have you enjoy what kills, rob, and destroy you, saying that these are fair rights, to hold. How dare you oppress other people for putting them down, for living outside of God's boundary? No, we're not. We're just telling you that sin is sin, and you'll go to hell if you live outside of the boundaries of God's love or required to. But it's your decision to come into the boundaries of God's love or not. You have a freedom to do that. You can reject it or not. I don't have, and under your system, you're going to force your will on me and take my rights away from me Sounds like you are the oppressor, not the church. So shut up. So the devil's idea of love is to control you and have you enjoy what kills, rob, and destroys you, saying that these are your rights. God's love has boundaries and rules and teaches us by allowing consequences and said to humanity, like I said in Isaiah 1, come, let us reason together. He doesn't talk about... um, using cancel culture, cancel culture to get one's way. He does what is necessary to draw folks back into his loving household by reason, and he will not allow the pride of the rainbow flag dominance of right-seeking into heaven. He will not allow that rainbow flag of pride into heaven that flaunts its giving God the finger, saying, how dare you cast judgment on our love is love what pride you think that pride's going to be allowed in heaven you're going to make heaven hell on earth again i mean yeah there are people who are christians who claim to be christian i don't think they were christians who are famous and they left christianity and 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 the reason they did is they just said oh the rainbow flag pride I, i just can't see how how god could just hate these people they just love each other so they they lose their faith over that and yet they can't see the stinking pride of demanding God, how dare you judge us, using the, the, the covenant where God says, I'm not going to issue forth judgment to flood the earth, to kill everybody. Okay? Because the world was exceedingly wicked. He's not going to do that again. He's going, to do it, he's going to do it a different way now. But he's going to give people plenty of time to repent of their pride. Okay? Those that do not want him, God's going to be good to them, even for a time. Before he issues fourth final judgment, why? To protect his people in heaven from the filth of the evil one and what they sell on as common fairness, rights, justice, and judgment. When the spotlight shines on Laodicea, the church age, with the other six churches on the same stage getting ready to take their last curtain call bow, we have entered into a new era. When, this, when the Antichrist is about ready to take the stage. That's something we need to watch for. There's a lot in uh, verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3 here. Let me continue it. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans, these things says the Amen, faithful, true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's an interesting phrase. It does not mean that Jesus was created. To translate this from the Greek, compounded with other scriptures where it talks about Jesus and creation. It's, it's, it's better to translate it this. Jesus is the cause of the creation of God. He was never created. He always was, is, and he'll always be. Amen. Okay? Listen to what it says in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, God said, "Let there be light," and there was. God said, "Let the in the waters divide." Hebrews chapter one 2 says. Chapter one verse two says, "He made the worlds." Colossians chapter one verse fifteen and eighteen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, meaning preeminent. Doesn't mean firstborn. He means he's the preeminent one. Over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or power, all things were created through him and for him. So, Jesus is proclaiming to everyone in the church, as well as to those principalities, that he is the Amen. That he is the Amen. He has the final word, all judgments given to him. Bow your knees to the Lord Jesus Christ now in the name of Jesus. He is the Amen, the faithful and true witness. That means he witnesses all we do. And and if you don't come back into the boundaries of his love, uh, he'll give just recompense to all who are his enemies. And also, if you come into the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, He is going to recompense you from everything that the enemy has stolen from us. If not now fully in this life, he will in the hereafter. He is the faithful, true witness, the final arbiter of judgment. Hallelujah. Jesus is the only faithful and true witness. No one else. Now aren't you glad? I' rather be glad I'd rather be judged by Jesus as a believer. And trying to stand on my own two feet in need of nothing, and being totally deceived in the church in the last days, why? Revelation 3:15 says, "I know your works." Just like I said, he knows her. He's a faithful, true witness. He knows your works that you are neither hot nor cold. Speaking to the later, the sea and type of believers, and the end times, says, "I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot." Well, let me give you a background. Laodicea was located in the, in the Lycus River Valley without a natural source of water nearby. It lay between the cities of Colossae and Hierapolis. Colossae was south of Laodicea. It was located in the foothills at the headwaters of the Lycaeus River, where, and it came off of glacier snow and, and, and lots of rain up there where the water was cold and refreshingly pure. It revived you. Hierapolis was to the north, and it was located near the hot springs known for its mineral waters, which were viewed as therapeutic and for healing. One of the reasons they are they so big on the Cleophas there, because they had these healing springs there, okay? And people to this day go to those springs to soak in them to heal them. Laodicea was located in the middle between those two cities and got its water from hot springs. So the water at Laodicea was like drinking out of the geyser waters that you see at Yellowstone. There's a lot of slime, yellowish, greenish, and reddish bacteria. It was a bacteria-infested cesspool. That's the type of water they were drinking. How do I know that to be true? Well, archaeology have dug up the underground piping and plumbing system of Laodicea, and they... (laughs) <laughs> went through the residue and found out they had to clean out those pipes all the time to keep them, keep the water halfway drinkable. But um, a lot of those have so much crud in them that it was a polluted cocktail coming from <laughs> hot springs. That's what they were drinking, but it was lukewarm and tepid by the time it got there. So, ver- verse 16 uses the word that's translated lukewarm to describe its water as tepid water. But, however, the Greek meaning of lukewarm that's translated here in our Bible is, is, is far richer than just lukewarm tap water. You can drink lukewarm tap water and live off of it. You don't get sick. But the idea of the Greek here indicates tepid, warm, stagnant pond water. That's the, that's the etymology of that word. It is a term for putrid, tepid, warm, stagnant pond water. Are any polluted water that makes one sick. And the very context of Revelation points to the polluted water that left bacterial infested sludge in the plumbing systems of Laodicea, like into a stagnant pond water. Listen to this, this, this makes sense. Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. Now the New King James really makes sense in this context. So then, because you are lukewarm. A polluted, stagnant cesspool, either hot or cold, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. That makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? So Laodicea was simply, as uh, I heard many scholars point out in their subject headings, was a useless, worthless church. Why? Because it dispensed no Holy Ghost, pure, refreshing water bubbling out of you, producing any life at all nor did it offer any healing waters, warm waters of the Holy Spirit to heal the body and soul. They were doing nothing. Instead, they were just doing things that make you sick. How verse 17 explains. Verse 17 says, Because you, say I'm rich, have become a wealthy and have need of nothing, and and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The gospel that's preached by Laodicean Christianity Wants nothing to do with or wanting God's ways at all. They don't want life-giving water. They don't want the healing waters at all. They just want what makes you wealthy, healthy, and dumb. Okay? That's what they want. Okay? The gospel they preach wants nothing to do with wanting God or his ways, but rather they want only theirs, which is defined in the text as I am. They say, I am rich. I am rich and have need of nothing. I am. That's that's the dead giveaway. That's the name that God uses of himself. In Exodus 3, 14, Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, say to them, I am has sent me to you. So these people are saying, I am rich. They call the shots. They are their own little gods, the I am, who can dictate to God to perform for them what? Listen to, to the verse again. I am rich and have need of nothing. Okay? Now let's break it down. They say, I am rich, meaning affluence, wealth, rich, in money, so that they can influence society with their money, because they are now the I am. They have also become wealthy. The word means seeking reliance on wealth, alone to be happy. I mean, they're, they're seeking their wealth and their prosperity as their means of happiness. On, based on the belief that riches bring forth happiness, power, and all your dreams will come through. In other words, the gospel there is all about seeking wealth and happiness alone, with Jesus' name attached to it to justify getting it. Does this sound familiar to anyone? I don't know if it does. It might. So these represent what type of churches we say, see today. What are the later to see in type of churches? What type of people inhabit these types of churches? Well, let's look. It's the prosperity name and claimant churches crowd. where they tell you that you are in God class. You God can't do a thing unless he has a human agent to decree and declare it. Faith is a force. You are the big I am on, on earth. Have any of you ever heard anybody teach these type of things? There's also what is known as the human potential churches. I don't know else the way they say it. The human potential I am churches. Where every sermon is all about you. Where God made you a masterpiece. God wants you a winner, not a whiner. Stay positive. Five easy confessions to a better you. Reach your destiny. God sees you a Winner. Five easy confessions on how to get well. You know, so do you see any of that happening in some churches that only focus on those things? These are some of these some of the big mega churches, boy, I'm telling you. Next in the Laodicean La- camp are the seeker-sensitive churches that rely not on God to build his church, but their schemes and idea as to their fi- because they are the final I ams of church growth. They have what is known as the ARC model. Maybe you don't know what the ARC model is. It's an umbrella term where, they'll, where a group of churches got together, and they'll say that if you abide by our rules and how to grow church and follow our steps, we'll give you a big donation, and we want you to remodel and put lighting and, 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 and fog machines and on your stage, and, and you remodel your church, we'll give you a bunch of money. And then, you know, we'll teach you how to have campuses so you can increase things and and we'll teach you how to mix the world into the church, to attract the people into the church to be comfortable and, and, and dumb. So you have a large church with a large tithing base, and you'll be the hottest thing on earth if you follow our model. And that's I'm paraphrasing kind of what they teach. So people don't know about that. It's the Peter Wagner model and the Rick Warren model of church growth, too. When you have need of nothing from God, they have it all figured out because they are the final uh, I am of church growth, not God. So they end up building their church by inviting the world with its pollutions into the church so we don't offend anyone. Because that's fair. That's right. That's just. Can't have any judgment in our church. So what, what, what do you have? Those churches only offer tepid, stinking, bacterial field pond water for y'all and make you sick there's no healing of the broken heart there there's no setting the soul free no refreshing of the holy spirit serve it's just all about you so i'm going to ask you do you see anything like that happening right now big time worldwide despite this jesus reaches out to those in this bunch with the gracious and kind words to return to him as that is his true faithful nature. Just as Revelation chapter 3, verse 18 says out of the New King James, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve, that you may see. In other words, come back into my loving boundaries. Come back to me. That's what he's saying. You need me. You need to come back to my ways. And how you do it, I'm going to counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. You may be rich. White garments that you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye soap, that you may see. I'm not going to give in to all the historical thing about eye salve and the eye salve powder that they use. I'm not going to go there right now. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich. Yeah, understand this. How can you buy gold? Isn't gold the most valuable standard there is? Just think for a second. Question becomes how do you buy pure gold from Jesus? Well, the Bible calls that trials of our faith are more valuable than gold that perishes. That's what it says in First Peter. I think it's chapter four or chapter one. I cannot remember. I'm avoiding this from memory. But the trials of our faith are more valuable than gold that perishes. So right now, if you're in these type of churches, you have to get yourself ready. You're going to go through something to break the stubborn I am in you. You don't want to pay attention to Bible prophecy. You want to go through some stuff. I'm just telling you. Because the trial of your faith is more valuable than God than any gold you have, or any of your stinking ways that make people sick. And trust me, I get out. A plethora of people in churches who come out of these churches saying, "I'm sick of this. Is this all their Christianity is? We well, are such a great witness to Jesus Christ. You ladies, to see him churches, here's God in His mercy and His love, the faithful, true witness saying buy from me pure gold.' You're going to have to go through the valley of affliction and trials of faith. Also, gold symbolizes God's power, deity, glory, His wisdom." in the presence of God and, and in all its holiness. The presence of God and all his holiness is what I should say. In other words, you can't purchase this with gold that perishes, but only by spending time seeking the presence of God. In other words, you got to go before God and say, Lord, I'm so far from your presence. I only am the I am here. I need to surrender my I amness. I need to seek you. And you seek your ways and you seek your protective boundaries. I got to get right. That's what he's saying here. It involves something that happened in the book of Ezra. When Ezra found the, the Torah and the scriptures, and the people begged, desired, craved, hungered to know God's ways, and did so. Where Ezra opened the book and read, and the people wanted it. That's what God's saying to the Laodiceans. That's what you need. He's saying it to the Pergamum. He's saying that to the Thyatirians. He's saying that to the Sardinians. He's saying that to the church of Ephesus. You need to know God's way. You need to desire God's way and hunger for the word of, uh, of God. Because if you don't, just like Ezra, you got to understand why these people hungered for the word of God. God just brought them out of the bondage and slavery of Babylonia. And they wanted to They had a desire to know God's ways more than turning his ways into our ways. They did not want to become slaves of Babylon again. Here in the book of Revelation, hint, 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 the mystery of Babylon. Jesus tells these Laodiceans, "Buy white garments, and white symbolizes purity that comes by sanctification, set apart to God again, that you may be clothed at the shame of your nakedness. That means the real you may not be revealed. That's what he's saying here. Jesus reminding these folks here to anoint their eyes with eye salve that you may see. Eyes, sight, in the Bible symbolizes the knowledge of God, who God is. As the only Amen, He is the only faithful and true witness, not them. Only He is the great I Am, not them. They need their eyes washed out to see who they are before God again. When Ezra found that book of the law, the people wanted to hear God's word preached. They wanted to know God's ways and live in them. The Laodiceans right now don't want to live. The Pergamums don't want to live. The Thyatirians and Sardinians and the Ephesus types of people do not want to live in God's ways. Ephesus left their first love. Pergamum was all about uh, bringing the occult world into the church. They're living by the doctrine of Nicolaitans. The Thyatiran churches also want to take over the world. That's the, uh, the Papal age, the Pope age, age of the Pope, in with governing behind the scenes and all the kings of Europe to take over the world. That's what that's about. Sardines, oh, that's the ecumenical age. The other side of the secret sensitive movement that we, I already talked about. And now in the later the who are rich and need of nothing because they are the I Ams. And God wants you to know more about Him than anything else he wants you to be like the people of Ezra teach us your word teach declare to your pastors grab them by the scuff of their collar and say I want to know the word of God I don't want to know how to get wealth how to get blessed how to be a success I don't want to I don't, I don't need to know about a better me I'm a wretch I want refreshing water I want of God's word. I want to have a literal life coming out of me. I want to be able to see the healing power of God. I don't need your platitudes. I don't need you telling me how wonderful I am. I, I, I live with myself. I say, I, I know what I smell like. You know, I know what I am. Stop telling me I'm so great. I know that I'm not. They want to know God's ways, how to live in the protective boundaries of God's love, not how great they are you understand what Ezra's people did? They didn't want to go back to live in Babylon. You got to understand the church of Laodicea. What they did before just did not work. All the mixing with the world so as not to offend anybody does not work. All the God, your God's special, special messages did not work. Never saying a discouraging word. This does not work. The you have need of nothing but a mirror to admire yourself. Messages do not work to give anybody any life, any protection. So, anointing the eyes so one sees the need to want God's ways more than their own, even reproving them. The late seeing crowd frown on chastening and rebuking, they call it religious, cruel, and unloving, and the old ways God doing a new way. The goodness of God leads to repentance. They need to read the whole verse there. I don't have time to read the whole verse, but maybe I should. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 11. Do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness God leads you to repentance? They use that in verse, but they don't read the rest of it. That talks about you're proud, you're arrogant, you better repent. You know the goodness of God. He's long-suffering. He's knocking on the door, wanting you to return. Look at what Revelation 3:19 says: "As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent." Exactly what the Laodicean type Christians don't want to do, God's calling them to do. He's going to rebuke and chasten them. It's very much alive today. You want to deny the Word of God? Go ahead. Hebrews chapter 12 says, "Whom I love, I rebuke." Who I love, I scourge. Every son and daughter I have, you know, he disciplines. So if you, why? Because you stray out of the boundaries of God's love. I tell you what. You some of you have kids. I just want to ask you a question. I really love your kids. Would you go allow them to pro- play on the middle of the interstate highway and set up their their swing on there? Would you allow them to drink polluted water? Would you allow them to uh, play with go outside and? and collect vipers and bring them into the house? Would you allow them to drink rat poison? You know, there's right and wrong. You do what you can to protect your own kids. You set up boundaries. Why in the world do you think that God should not? Because your ways are superior and that you are the I am, that you should allow everybody in who wants to play on this street, put their hands in viper dens and bring snakes into the kingdom of God. Do you, do you, what are you thinking of? You set boundaries for your own kids. But do you think God can't allow to set boundaries for his own kids? Do you know how, what it's like to live in the boundaries of God's love and how pleasant that is, how good that is, and how much you learn the knowledge of God and how great he is and what that does to you, how it transform you, give you living water. Oh my gosh, it gives you living water, gives you healing to your soul. You get set free of the junk in your trunk. I don't know what else to say. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. When you, when you realize how much God loves, loves you and you stray away, you are happy that he rebukes and reproves you because he's gracious and he wants you back. Here's the good shepherd who sees one straying sheep, he leaves the other behind safely, goes and gets that sheep and brings it back into the fold. He doesn't say, oh, you walked away of your own free will, bye, I can't do anything to help you. I don't want to serve a God like that, do you? I don't. He goes after the straying sheep. And a lot of sheep in God's church are straying. He's going after them. However, there's a ton more that don't belong to him. They, be, And he'll, he'll let them go. There's only the saved and the unsaved. There's no middle ground. You're either saved or not. So what the Lord's saying to the later of the is turn back to the Lord Jesus, the Amen, the final word, the faithful, true witness who sees what you do and understands all, who sees you as you really are, not what you think you are. And he's here to help you to get you back in the fold. Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, guess what? I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. To dine with refers to deep fellowship. With you, as was the custom of that era and still is in many places of the world. In other words, he's knocking on the door, the hour's getting late, and he's asking, Will you open the door to the good shepherd who wants to bring you back into fellowship? He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to come into your world and set things right. Verse 21 To him overcomes, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That is a verse packed with information. He overcomes he'll sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. This is implying that some of these people later Laodicea are going to go through extreme persecution and require to give up their own life. Or you can escape. One of the two. If you repent now. If you don't, We're going to have to overcome at a certain point in time. Talk about that later. Just think about the power of those words. Verse 21 again To him who overcomes, I'll grant him to sit with me on my thrones, as I also overcame and sat down my father on his throne. Do you understand what it means to have fellowship with God in his throne room? Intimate, knowing, sitting at God's feet, learning of him. Do you know what all that implies? You need to ask yourself, how do we, how do, how do I overcome? How do we overcome? How do you overcome? It says it in Revelation three, verse twenty-two. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the ear does what? Increases the knowledge of God, who He is, His grace, His mercy, His character traits. Getting back into His loving boundaries. He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's how. With that end it with this note. The stage is set. God shines his spotlight on the churches, each taking their own turn and center stage. First there was Ephesus, then Smyrna, then Pergamum, then Thyatira, then Sardis, then Philadelphia. All six remain on the stage to this day, waiting for the last curtain call after Laodicea takes its bow, ushering in the last days. Then the Antichrist will take the stage. That's why this judgment that comes in the house of God first is going to give a message to seven different distinct messengers of people who belong in these churches to, to give these letters and these messages back to those people. How are you going to do it? I don't, do not know. I don't have a clue. There are going to be seven messengers. He's going to do it somehow. So we are in this state right now. Uh, we call it the late Odyssean church age, which is actually all seven church ages, the judgment's upon us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, with that, folks, that's it for today's message. Till next time on The Christian Marauder, as we explore Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation. With that, you can look at my contact information at the end of this. I'm going to post it here. And with that, Uh, roll out the video be blessed in jesus name hope you enjoyed this (laughs) recorded live stream amen and amen god bless